Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is Wednesday, December 12, 2012, and this is episode 1038 of the Survival Podcast. This is an amazing one. It's the first of a two-part series, and you won't have to wait for part two very long. Part two will be tomorrow. This is the show that I've been talking about for a while, where I worked with Stephen Harris, came up with some ideas, concepts for some projects around battery backup systems. And part one today, mostly what you're going to learn about is batteries themselves, how to choose the right battery, what all the numbers and things mean in batteries. When you're done with today's episode, you're going to know more about batteries than the average, I would say, you know, automotive tech who's been in the business for a long time. You'll be able to walk in and look at different batteries and understand every single bit of the marketing and know what's real and what's just kind of, you know, marketing and make a decision based on cost and assessment and need and longevity for your own applications with battery backup systems. Then Steve's going to come back tomorrow because these two shows together run over almost three hours and tell you how to put those and assemble them together, starting out with the most simple basic backup system all the way to a mobile backup system that would live in a toolbox in the back of your truck that could provide power for something like, I don't know, a small cabin that's your backup lo uh, bug out location whenever you're out there, including how to wire solar into it. Yes, I, Jack Spirico, have made Stephen Harris cave and add solar to one of his projects. I'm pretty proud of that. Before we get to that, though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. And don't skip this section today, guys, because I've got some really cool stuff here in addition to just the sponsorship housekeeping stuff. But sponsor of the day number one, HarvestEating.com, my good friend, the illustrious chef Keith Snow, who will teach you to make cooking a life skill, who will teach you to cook seasonally and locally, that will teach you what to do with all that great food that I talk about growing all the time, if you're not really sure. Check him out today. Check out his seasonings. Check out everything over at HarvestEating.com. Make sure you check out his podcast, too. Chef Keith has a great podcast. Next up today, Western Botanicals. Look, guys, I try to avoid medications as much as possible. And sometimes when I feel like I maybe need something to help improve my immunity or deal with a, an issue, I try to go the herbal route first. The problem is I don't trust many people in the herbal business. I really don't. Uh, most of them seem like snake oil salesmen to me. Western Botanicals I trust, and I trust implicitly. When we need anything, if we're not, especially when we're not sure what it is, and we need to talk to somebody, we pick the phone up, we call those folks over at Western Botanicals, and they help us out, they hook us up, they find us the right stuff, and it's real people that really care, that really answer the phone right here in America, and everything you're going to get from them is either organically grown or wild-crafted. If you haven't been to their website in a while, check it out. They've made massive, their old website, I It's you know it was like a 1990s website and I guess it was fine in the 1990s but it was like guys you got to clean this up it's too hard to navigate and, and all the new website is awesome it's easy to find everything you're looking for but remember the big thing with Western Botanicals real people that really care so if you're not sure if you're wondering if they have something you can't find it or you're trying to decide between two products call them they care about you they'll help you that's the biggest endorsement that I can give in that industry and the fact that I trust them to tell you the truth and not exaggerate and not make hype and claims. Next up, remember, Christmas is coming. We're getting close to the wire here on being able to get stuff to you by Christmas, but TSP Gear and uh, TSP Copper are open for business. Lots of stuff 
available there. The copper is really affordable, really cool. And uh, we do have some stuff coming. TSP Silver will come soon. We've got a new silver round. We had you guys vote on it. We've made a decision. Turns out we'll get into it later, but there's a photographer that's pretty cool that uh, we ended up, without knowing it, using one of him as his images. But I'm going to pay him his licensing fee. Uh, on the ant that was on the back, the big ant on the back of that that, uh, that silver round. And uh, we're going to let his name be kind of marketed with the coins. So I think he's a pretty cool guy. It turns out he's from uh, the great state of Texas. Uh, next up, this is a big announcement. Okay, I've been talking about this 13skills.com uh, contest. All the details are out. I just posted it today. I'm not going to read the details to you on the air and take up all your time. I am going to read the prizes so far. We are going to be adding prizes to each of the three categories. I might even create a category called fourth prize if we have enough entries to warrant doing this. But first prize is going to get a complete Kelly Kettle stainless steel kit. That's valued at over 100 bucks. And if you want to buy one right now, you can't even get one from Kelly Kettle. They're backordered. Uh, a copy of Lee Reich's book, Un Uncommon Fruits for Every Garden, and a free, a free lifetime membership in the MSB. Those were just sold for 300 bucks. The winner of this contest gets a free one. If it turns out you're somebody that purchased one, you can gift it to somebody else. Okay. Uh, second prize, a free ember lit stove, the stainless steel model version. They're about 40 bucks. And a copy of Lee Reich's book, this one, Grow Fruit Naturally, and three free years of uh, member support brigade. If you're already a member, you can add it onto your term, or you can gift it to somebody else. The only thing I'm going to say there to make it easy is you can't gift a year to three people. You've got to give one person the three years if you're going to gift it. Third prize is a free copy of When Technology Fails by Matthew Stein. For third prize, it's a pretty good prize. I'm going to do what I did with David Bloom's book on one of Steve Harris's shows. Uh, this is this is the book, When Technology Fails, being dropped from about eight inches above my desk next to my microphone. Okay, so that's a pretty inclusive book on what to do when technology fails. Additionally, you're going to get a complete set of all the decals, all the stickers in the TSP gear shop. That's 11 of them valued at five bucks a piece. So third price, that's a $55 value in the stickers alone. And one free year of the MSB, same rules apply, you can gift it. So I wanted to get that out. Last but not least, do consider joining the Member Support Brigade because you may not win this contest, and the Member Support Brigade pays for itself. Military, law enforcement, Peace Corps, active duty, and prior service. Hey, you know what? Send me an email before you join. Put service discount in the subject line. Tell me who you are and what you're doing, or if you're prior service, who you are and what you did, and I'll send you a discount code to thank you from your service. With that, we have the housekeeping wrapped up, and I'm stoked. I am so stoked about this show. And I would say more, I'm stoked about the two shows together. The, com the complete package here. I came to Steve with a simple challenge. I want to build this mobile backup power system in my truck, in a toolbox, and I'm going to put this together with a fuel reserve toolbox and all, and I'm going to have this mobile power station. And I know how to do 95% of it perfectly. I want the X factor. I want it over the top. I want it to also do solar. I want it isolated off the front charging system so the two batteries aren't battery banks aren't competing for energy. I can do that. I want to do it right though. I want to do it perfect. I want this to be awesome. And then Steve says, "Sure, I can do that." And he puts together over five hours of video that after these two podcasts you can buy if you want to uh, for like $24.95 or something like that. I think he's going to sell it for $35, bucks, but for you guys for $25 basically. Um, he puts together over three hours of material here on the air. He starts out with, here. let's start with batteries and let's select our batteries. And he goes all the way to building the mobile power station by the end of tomorrow's show. You're about to get... 
and education and backup power systems you probably wouldn't get in an entry-level college course that you'd pay a lot of money for. You're about to get that for free, and you're going to have the opportunity to support what Steve does at the end if you want. Cut, I mean, pictures of every single thing. Five hours of video, wiring diagrams, everything, if you want to add that to it at the end. But, man, Steve... He's a trooper. He always busts his ass for this audience. I can tell you for a fact that nobody puts more effort into prep for the show than Steve. This is something he put together over a month, and I'm really excited. I just want to thank him as he comes on the air and say, hey, Steve, man, welcome back to the Survival Podcast, buddy. Thanks, Jack. I'm thrilled to be back, and I'm really thrilled to be delivering this content to all of your listeners. We got some really outstanding Put your hands on it. Do it right now. Stuff that will answer so many questions for people. You know, um, I've been kind of pumping this one up for a while. I've had people that are basically chomping at the bit. Uh, can't wait for this show. And the way it came about was I decided I wanted to build a battery backup system in my truck. And I knew I could do it like 90% right. And that you'd give it that 10% X factor that takes it over the top. And I, what you've done is beyond what I even expected. But um, a lot of people are going to listen to this at first and go, well, you already did us a show on telling us how to power your house from your car with an inverter. And how is the home battery bank different? Well, it's pretty easy and straightforward to power parts of your house from your car. You can hook up, you can run lights, fans, TV, radio, etc., but the home battery bank is designed to be at home in one spot, nice and warm in the winter, nice and cool in the summer, and ready to give you the power you need for the basics at any time because while powering your house off your car is great, and I love it, I advocate it tremendously, that car might have to leave. I mean, it might have to take someone someplace or you might not be home at the time when the power fails, and then there you are left in, in the dark. So a battery bank is your own personal energy supply at home, ready to go 24-7. Also, the batteries you have at home can be many times the size of the single battery that's in your car. You can put together a battery bank from golf cart batteries from Sam's Club and have a battery bank that's easy 10 to 20 times the energy that is in your one single car battery in your car. The battery bank supplements your car power very well. In fact, you can recharge it off your car when needed. But most of all, it's there all the time for when you need it. Plus, having a battery bank at home allows you to run like a submarine. I say this all the time. In the morning, you turn on your generator. You cool down your refrigerator. You cool down your freezer. You brew a bunch of coffee. You put some food in the microwave. You run your well pump. You take a shower. You take a warm shower if you've got a natural gas heater. And then at the same time, you're dumping energy into your battery banks while your generator is running. And after an hour or two or three of the generator power, you turn off your generator in the morning and you run silent run deep on just your batteries. You light the house with them. You recharge your AA, your AAA batteries and flashlights and your headlamps. You watch small LCD t digital TV or you listen to the radio or you run a small fan to keep yourself cool but the main point is you run your generator in the morning and or you run your generator in the evening, one or both, and you do all your stuff, put energy in your banks, and then you run silent and run deep. Now, I've seen all different ways that people build battery banks, and I'm sure you're going to give us the best practices when it comes 
to selecting what types of batteries that we actually want to use. So I've seen people use everything from harvested out of junk cars to batteries that are supposed to be specifically for the application, uh, marine batteries, deep cranking batteries, etc. So how do people know what are the best batteries to pick out for building a backup battery system? I've got three major things I'm going to teach you, and I've made some great new tools to help you understand this in detail. First, I'm going to talk about selecting the correct battery for you and your application. Do you want a flooded lead-acid battery, a sealed lead-acid battery? Do you want an absorbed glass mat or an AGM battery? Which battery is right for you? What is the acid safety with each battery? Which one is best for your children in your house or your apartment, etc.? Then we're going to take the battery you select, and we are going to make a home battery bank with it. In fact, I now have this famous photograph of a battery on my kitchen table in my house powering all sorts of things. Did you see that photo, Jack? Yeah, it looked like an electronic octopus times four. It was it was everything you could think of, every gadget and gizmo out there plugged into this one battery. <laughs> yeah, my wife was going, what are you doing with my iPad? What are you doing with my iPhone? Where Where is it? It looked like you literally went through your house and found everything that you could charge electronically and just hooked it up to make a point. Yeah, I did. I did. I, there's an Android tablet, an iPad, an Android phone, an iPhone, a police scanner, uh, a AA battery charger, an AM, FM radio, a desk lamp, two desk lamps, uh, AA headlamp, and I also did one with a little mini TV, all off of one marine battery sitting there just sipping the energy. So, yeah, uh, that's got a, uh, that photo's got a lot of traction to it. But uh, now I'm going to teach you how to make, also I'm going to teach you in this show, how to make a mobile battery bank, one that is mounted in your vehicle just like Jack said that he wanted, like in a crossbed toolbox in your pickup. So no matter where you go, you have at least 1,500 watts or more of power for anything you want to run, all the way up, up to and including one of my favorite electric high-power devices, an electric chainsaw. This battery bank gets recharged as you drive down the road. And then when you stop, you can use it. Or if you want, you can drive down the road and bake bread with one of my favorite bread makers on the bed of the truck. Uh, two or three of them at the same time if you want. Now, this is ideal for the TSP disaster response teams you were talking about, Jack. Yeah, I mean, I think this is going to be great for that. I think a lot of the, the field-level members, I mean, right now we're still in the formation stages with that. We're, we've set up a board of directors and we're setting up kind of the command control central of the people that are mostly going to be stationary and, and doing the comms during this. But the people that are out there as responders that are going to be going out and actually helping people. I mean, you saw the pictures, Steve, right, of people in New York City that were, you know, ecstatic just because somebody ran a power strip out their window. Yeah. And, you know, 10 members of the team showed up with 10 trucks with mobile power. Uh, especially if you company that with small inverter generators is another uh, backup redundancy. You could bring a lot of power in with that. Now, for me personally, I want it for that, but I like to hunt. I like to fish, and I go to some dadgone remote areas. And having that kind of power on demand uh, at all times is absolutely something that I've wanted to do for a long time. And I had a few concerns about separation from the main batteries in the vehicle, making sure that's isolated right. And then I said, hell, man, throw solar on top of that. You've done the whole thing, right? I've done the whole thing, and every moment of every day I've been working on this for the last five weeks, I was always saying to myself, how is someone else going to repeat this? Did I show it to you correctly so you can do it? 
how is someone in a disaster response team going to be using this? You know, did I put in enough tools? Did I put in enough backup? Did I put in enough meters? Did I make it so your average normal person who heard this podcast and put together a battery bank, will they know everything that's going on? Or will your wife or your brother or whoever is helping you, working with you, know exactly what's going on just by looking at the battery bank? And, I, and I'll get into that. But, boy, I mean, since Jack brought out this uh, disaster response team thing, I really kept that in my mind with everything I'm telling you today and I've done in the video. So I'm going to teach you everything you could possibly know right here, right now on TSP about making a battery bank for your home or for your vehicle. All this, of course, is 100% free. It's my charity. It's the way I give back to you. I'm not leaving anything out of this, okay? However, this show is only about two hours long, and you're just listening to me talk about how to do this. If you want to see me do this, then I have something for you. I have also made three videos that go with this podcast. All total, they're about four hours long, and I'll show you everything I'm talking about step by step, part by part, every example from big battery banks to small battery banks. You see me do everything. At the end of the show, I'll tell you all about the video, and you can get the video if you so desire. Uh, this podcast will be enough for you. If you want more, there's the video. If you're listening on a computer right now, you want to follow along and see some of the things Jack and I are talking about, you can go to www.battery1234. That's B-A-T-T-E-R-Y-1234. I've made a special site just for this battery show. Solar1234.com was getting a bit full. So if you want to see what we're talking about, go over there. If not, you can see it later. Okay. Go ahead. That's enough of my sales pitch. I'm ready. Go ahead, Jack. Oh, no. And on, on the sales pitch, I just want to reiterate, guys. I called Steve on the phone 30 days ago and said, hey, man, build this. And he did. Uh, and, and like I said, beyond my wildest dreams. So I think that the video product is going to be something you guys are really going to want to look at. But let's get into it. Let's st get stuck into it, I guess, as Jeff Lawton would say. Um, how many choices do we have at co when it comes to building our battery banks for the house as far as battery types? Jack, there are three major types of batteries we're going to talk about, and these are the three major types you really have to select from, okay? I'm not going to have any NASA batteries in here. This is all Walmart stuff. One, flooded lead-acid batteries. What's a flooded lead-acid battery? These are the standard car and marine batteries or golf cart batteries you're used to seeing every day. The second type of battery is a sealed lead-acid battery. These are also called SLA batteries. These are the ones you see that are in small little electric cars, like your, your daughter drives a little pink Barbie Jeep around. These are what's in them. There's what is in your security alarm panel. They're in the emergency exit signs. They're like a plastic brick with two terminals on them. They're also in your, um, in your deer feeder. Um, they're also the same type that come in those battery boxes or jump boxes that you can buy that you use to jumpstart your car. Those are using sealed lead acid batteries. The third type of battery we're going to talk about tonight is absorbed glass batteries, also known as AGM batteries. These are sealed up as well, but they're so safe you can actually carry one on a commercial jetliner legally. This is the highest quality battery you'll get, and they are the most 100% acid safe. 
The AGM is 100% safe to have kids around the AGM battery. You can jump on it. You can you can roll on them. You can roll the thing like a bowling ball. So what about other types of batteries that we hear about sometimes for home battery banks? Nickel iron, nickel metal hydride, lithium ion batteries, and the Luke Skywalker lightsaber battery. What about those? Well, when it comes down, what it comes down to is I have to give you here on this show what works now. What is 100% reliable, 100% proven, 100% we know it's going to do what it needs to when it's hot, when it's cold, when you drain the thing all the way down. I have to give you stuff that is mass manufactured at the cheapest prices and the stuff you're going to find it locally. You're going to find it in your Walmart, in your Radio Shack, online at Amazon. I got to give you that stuff. Lead acid technology batteries are the only batteries that qualify for these descriptions. Nickel iron, a lot of people have asked me about this, so let me get into it briefly, also called knife cells, N-I-F-E, because N-I is for nickel, F-E is the periodic table element symbol for iron, ferrous. Right now, there are only two places in the entire world to get a nickel iron battery, when one is in China, and they are literally... Ten times the price of a darn good lead-acid battery. In fact, I had a whole presentation on Zello the other night just on nickel-iron batteries because someone asked. Now, nickel-metal hydride batteries. These are the same technology that's used in your AA or AAA rechargeable batteries we talked about before, and these are best suited just for that. Nickel-metal hydride technology is suited for smaller batteries and not large battery banks like what we're going to talk about tonight. They do not make 50-pound nickel-metal hydride batteries nor chargers for them. Now, as far as lithium-ion goes, what you're going to see that might take over the battery market in the future, very distant future, are the lithium technology batteries. One of these types is lithium polymer batteries or LiPo batteries. Right now, these batteries are used in model RC planes, cars, and helicopters. They also have a tendency to wildly catch fire if you overcharge them. And then there are lithium iron phosphate batteries, sometimes called LFP batteries. If you're listening to this podcast in year 2022, and you just might be listening to this in year 2022, <laughs> that's a heck of a statement, isn't it, Jack? Uh, and I think you will have the opportunity to. Yeah, if you're listening to this in 2022, you, and it's 2012 right now, December, you might have an option for, this might be an option for you, but right now they're over 10 times the price of a sealed lead acid battery. Yeah, and I, you know, some of that, that's why I threw in the little comment about the Luke Skywalker lightsaber battery. There, it's, it's amazing where technology is going. I look at lithium ion, especially in some of the stuff coming out in power tools, and I've upgraded some of my power tools, and it's an immense difference. But there's things that do the job right and right now for this type of application. I think you zeroed in on all three of them. So let's get into the first type of it, the lead-acid battery, the flooded lead-acid battery, actually. So for folks that don't maybe understand what that means, what does it mean to be flooded? It means to be full of liquid acid. It means you can take something off the top of your battery, and you can look down into it and actually see the lead oxide plates and the liquid sulfuric acid above the plates and its sulfuric acid and water mixture in the battery. You can put your finger into that hole and burn yourself on the acid, okay? It's a flooded liquid battery. You can spill it. You can spill it on your blue jeans, as I did making this video, and it'll eat a hole through your jeans. Not right away, but it will do it overnight. 
I'll tell you what happened to us in the military. You'd always end up with T-shirts with little holes in them from around your waist level because that's where the battery boxes were on the trucks. And you didn't think you got anything on you, but sooner or later you'd end up trashing those T-shirts. Yeah, I got a picture of it in the video. It's a bunch of little holes on on the uh, bottom area of my uh, blue jean pants because that's where I had a little drops of acid drop onto it when when I show you in the video how to use a hydrometer and test the batteries. There are, um, but going back to flooded lead acid, there are even big, huge versions of these batteries called Telcom batteries, and they're so big, they're about three feet tall, and they're two volts each, and they weigh over 400 pounds each, and you need six of them to make 12 volts, which is what a 12-volt lead acid battery really is. It's six two-volt batteries inside one case, and connected together internally to make up 12 volts. But remember this, each 2-volt battery in the 12-volt box is its own little battery, and it has its own plates, its own acid, and everything. That's why there's six holes on top of a 12-volt battery. So you can add a distilled water to them or check the uh, acid concentration. These batteries only like to work standing up, right side up. You can't turn them upside down. The acid would leak out. You can't put them on your side. They have to remain up. Yeah, absolutely. Now, what about batteries that don't have any holes, no acid to worry about? You know, they call maintenance-free or something like that. Well, maintenance-free is actually a version of a flooded lead-acid battery. We shouldn't confuse the maintenance-free with the sealed lead-acid batteries. The maintenance-free batteries are basically flooded lead-acid batteries with the caps on so tight they'll never come off, or no caps at all. Um, so those are really what the previous type we talked about. If you want truly a battery with no, well, it's completely sealed, uh, these are our second type of lead-acid batteries we're going to talk about. They're called SLA batteries for sealed lead-acid batteries. The acid inside of them is actually a gel, which is why they're called gel cells or they used to be called that. SLA is a more common term right now. These can operate right side up, upside down, on their side, on their end. It doesn't matter. Okay, so I've got one of those jump packs, right? It has a battery inside of it, and I can hook it up to my vehicle and give it a jump start if I need to. What kind of battery did you say was in those? Is that That would be the gel cell, Jack. Okay, That would be the one that we're just talking about. You have to be really, really careful with those jump packs. I really, me personally, kind of hate those things because they install a false, false sense of security uh, into people, and I think that's hor- deadly. Just because you can hook it up to your car and start it, people now think they have a, a lightsaber in their hands, and they have infinite amount of power, and they can plug it in and run everything in their house. After all, it started my car, didn't it? These jump packs even come with built-in tools like an air compressor, a flashlight, an inverter. And the truth is, it's not hard, there's not hardly a worse thing you can get for your energy preparedness than one of these. Now get this. They're made in China, and so are the batteries. By the time the batteries are made in China, then the batteries are sent to the other factory in China, and then made into a nice fancy jumper box case in China with all of its toys. And then by the time it gets onto a container and then onto a boat and then goes across the Pacific, clears customs, goes into a storage house for the store it's going to finally go to, then finally rides on a truck to the store to go on the shelf, that can easily be over a year. And that has been a year with the battery only having a partial charge on it when it left 
the factory. Now, having a battery partially charged for a year and losing power each month, it's called self-discharge, is what kills a battery. So this gel cell miracle lightsaber of energy only might have a real life of two or three years associated with it. And already you're getting into it with a year off its life. And you're not going to discover that it's only going to work for 30 minutes until you're 31 minutes into your disaster. There are also the same batteries. These are also the same batteries used in backup power supplies for computers, UPSs, okay? Lots of people have asked me, and that's why it's in here, about using a UPS as an emergency backup for a disaster. First, they usually beep like crazy when the power fails. I don't know if you want to listen to that, but I don't. Second, if you're getting them used and old, they probably are old and don't have a lot of life left in them. Three, they're designed to hold up a computer for 10 minutes so you can shut it down and turn it off rather than just crashing and power it off correctly. So they're up and running for 10 minutes, not 10 hours. Beep, beep, beep. Now, on that, I have a extremely overbuilt uh, UPS. But even with that, it's to run my computer. Yep. It's to run my modem. It's to run my audio recorder. So, for instance, right now, while we already have this much of this awesome show recorded, if the power just went, we don't lose it all. Mm-hmm. Um, because I've had that happen once, and, and things usually only happen to me once before they never happen again uh, without a redundancy put in place. And that will run my computer, et cetera, everything here for a whopping hour without really taxing it. And then after that, you've got to go to something else. That's what that's for. That's not for running your freaking house and charging your cell phone. It's just not designed to do that. So I'm completely with you. Now, on um, the gel cells, how big are the gel cells that are sold? What are, what are the biggest ones we can get? Well, this is where it really starts to separate itself and makes it kind of a non-candidate for us. They're generally sold in much smaller sizes, like I said, for your deer feeder or for your emergency light system or your UPS. And they're like the size of a brick, and like they go into the alarm system or deer feeder. They do make them up to about 100 ampere hours in size, and we'll talk about what an ampere hour is shortly. But the biggest gel cell is pretty much where the flooded acid battery starts out. So the biggest gel cell is close to the size of the smallest flooded lead-acid battery. Also, you find that these larger gel cells or sealed lead-acid batteries are sometimes, they're also called VRLA batteries, uh, when they're bigger, they will be two and a half to three and a half times the price of a good deep cycle marine battery. What you are finding in in the market is that the gel cells used to have the bigger size. The, the bigger gel cells, the 100 ampere hour to 75 ampere hour gel cells, kind of like the one that might be in Jack's oversized UPS, they're being replaced by absorbed glass mat batteries or AGM batteries. Yeah, on the AGM, that's a third type of battery you said you were going to talk about, and you said they're the safest. And I don't think we can see a better example of this than I just did a feature on a guy that built a Kawasaki motorcycle into an electric motorcycle, runs up to 50 miles an hour. He's got a range on it at about 30 miles, uh, and it uses three of the AGMs. And the biggest reason he picked those is he can put them in there sideways or upside down and make them fit the frame. True, true. In fact, uh, AGM batteries were first invented to go into fighter jets. 
Okay. Uh, they well, got to go upside down on one of those. Upside down, right side up, <laughs> lots of lots of vibration, you know, lots of abuse. AGMs can really take abuse really good. AGMs are fast, fastly taking over the market that the larger gel cells had. AGM batteries are sealed up as well. They can operate upside down, right side up, underside, any position like a gel cell, but inside they're different. They have a fiberglass mat between the lead oxide plates of the batteries, and the acid is absorbed into the glass mat, thus AGM. And it stays there, and the battery is sealed, and nothing is going to leak out. These are the most acid-safe batteries you're going to get. Now, if you have kids that might get into a marine battery, which is not likely, you've got to pop the top on with a screwdriver, or they might open the top of golf cart battery, which is really easy, then you'll want to go with the AGM batteries. Again, you got kids, AGM. Also, because nothing will leak out of an AGM battery, they can be shipped by UPS or anyone else with no hazmat, no hazardous material fees. Now, I don't want to go into the chemistry of the batteries in this show and whether you have a lead-acid battery with cadmium or antimony alloy plates, but the AGMs have a little better chemistry than the flooded lead-acid batteries. And, of course, by their very nature, they're also considered to be a deep-cycle battery. So the AGMs, uh, a little better chemistry and uh, great for vibration, acid-safe, but they're going to be a little bit more expensive. Yeah, now most things in life, the more features, benefits, and things you add to it, especially when they're real, the higher the price goes. So how do they compare in price to uh, lead acid? The AGM, well, the AGMs are also lead acid batteries, okay? So AGM batteries compared to flooded lead acid batteries. That's what, that's what I meant. Well, yeah, yeah. To a flooded battery. Like a marine battery. Sorry, I'm just one of those exact people, Jack. <laughs> Uh, because, boy, the, the listeners will pick up on it, and they'll email me and say, did you mean to say that? Did you mean yeah. to say that? <laughs> so i got to be exact with you guys. The AGM batteries are about twice the price of a good flooded acid marine battery. So they're significantly affordable. They're only double the price because a regular marine battery is really pretty damn darn affordable. Have you seen those batteries with the round cylinders in them? You know, it's not a square battery. It's like six round cylinder. Those are made by a company called Optima, and they are one of the more famous lead-acid AGM batteries. Uh, I do have them on the Battery1234 website, and you can actually have Amazon ship them directly to your house store. You can also find Optima batteries on the shelf of Sam's Club, but watch out. They probably won't be the Group 31 size, which is the largest traditional size of battery, as the ones I have listed for Amazon. So you got to be careful about the number of ampere hours you have in the battery. Again, I'm going to cover group size and ampere hours with you short, shortly. Odyssey is also an excellent manufacturer of AGM batteries. Duracell has a very nice line of AGM batteries, and they're sold off the shelf at Sam's Club. As of December 2012, I've not seen any AGM batteries on the shelf of Walmart, uh, which is disappointing, but I'm sure they'll show up. Uh, Duracell AGMs at Sam's Club are the best AGMs with the most energy at the lowest price. Uh, that's from the pricing I've done for you. I have a side note here, Jack, in mentioning something regarding preparedness that I, I personally find is just amazing, especially since we just went through Hurricane Sandy. An Optima AGM battery weighs 60 pounds, and if you're uh, an Amazon Prime member, they will ship that 60-pound battery to you overnight. 
to your front door by UPS Air overnight for a total shipping charge of four bucks. Overnight shipping. If you want, let's say, two or more of them to make a battery bank with, your Prime membership just got paid for because I don't know anybody out there. If you've ever sipped something that's 60 pounds, even in regular freight, it ain't cheap. Yep. Yep. That happens with you can get things shipped to you by two day for nothing, by one day for $4 if you're an Amazon Prime member, which costs $79 a year. And that's an Amazon Prime object you're buying, which means it's actually in an Amazon warehouse, which means they warranty everything for 30 days. You can return anything for any reason for 30 days. So um, my point is I sent an email out three or four days between before Hurricane Sandy hit, and I warned everyone. And it's amazing to think that people who were not prepared – who did not have a battery or battery charger or inverter or any other preparedness supply, uh, they could order um, an inverter, a battery or two, and order them all off Amazon.com, and UPS would deliver them the next day for $4 per item. And this is when everyone is at all your local store shelves raping and pillaging everything, and it's all gone. Amazon and UPS will deliver it to, to you in a day. I just think that is just an amazing statement. You know, and I think that that begs a reiterance of something I try to tell people all the time, that everybody's worried about the end of the world as we know it, the apocalypse, the uh, total economic collapse, and I'm not saying none of that stuff can ever happen. We, we talk about it realistically here, but we always have to keep in mind disaster preparedness and the order of probability and the less people that are going to be affected by a disaster, the more likely you as an individual are to experience it. And you're a heck of a lot more likely to find yourself in the eye of a coming storm than you are riding down the road fighting Mad Max. And yeah. this is a prepared – I mean, I never really looked at it that way, Steve, that having that membership is like kind of a – you know, if you realize you need something, being able to get it quick without having to go out to get it, that's pretty cool. I think it. I think it is. And also, Amazon.com sells food too. I have food. That's true. <laughs> I'm serious. It's like Costco. They got you can't buy one jar of peanut butter. You got to buy a small case of six. But my mother is 74 years old now, and she fine. She drives. She goes to the grocery store. But in the winter time, when it's cold and everything else, and she doesn't want to carry too much, I have all the stuff that she normally eats dropped off by UPS at her house. Um, from Amazon, so when she goes to the grocery store, it's just for butter and milk and eggs. Well, now, now that is something very important for people to think about too, because I hear people all the time. I've got a, 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 a you know a grandmother or whatever that's far away, and, and yep. that's really not something I've really thought about. And I do order food there once in a while because there's certain things. I don't know if you ever try to buy Oriental fish sauce in Hot Springs, Arkansas, but no. it's easy. Anyway, we'll get back on the topic, but it's a very good point, Steve. Okay, that's just want to make a side point for you guys. I think it's an amazing tool. <laughs> Stuff can show up on day one or two before the storm hits. Um, I want to recap what we talked about because it was kind of technical. There are three main types of lead-acid batteries. One, there are flooded lead-acid batteries, which are our regular car, marine, and golf cart-type batteries. These are the most affordable. Two, there are sealed lead-acid batteries, also called gel cells, and they are more for backup power for a small electronic system than lights. Three, there are absorbed glass matter AGM batteries that are the most lead acid, they're the most acid safe batteries out there. If you have kids, you'll be getting these and they are only about twice the price of the flooded lead acid battery. And again, UPS will ship them to your door. 
So you are going to have to pick between one of these three batteries for what you are going to use for your personal battery bank. I think there is only really one or there is only an option for you to pick between the regular flooded battery and an AGM. And it comes down to will your kids get into the battery acid or won't they? Fair enough. So you don't think that there's enough of a performance advantage in an AGM to make it worth the cost. It's more of a safety issue. Is that what you're saying? I'm saying it's a tremendous safety issue. Okay. Yeah. It's not. Yeah, but much, it's, it's tremendous, not, but it's not about performance. It's about safety. Yeah, it's not about performance. The AGM, let's say, might be 10 to 25% better performance. Than, well, I don't need to worry about the safety. I can get 10 to 25% better performance into 100% better performance by increasing the size of my bank by a battery. You got it exactly. <laughs> there we go. That's, I, I think in money. So you mentioned a lot of stuff along the way here, like group size, amp hour, depth of discharge, deep cycle. What does all that stuff mean? Well, it's like what came first, the chicken or the egg. I wanted to tell you about all the, I want to tell you about the chicken first, which is the batteries, before I got into the egg, which is the technical terms, because I did not want to bore you at the start of the show. Uh, but I have to take a little moment to tell you these important terms so you can make the decision on what battery is best for you when you're standing at the store shelf at Walmart and wondering which one of these 50 batteries do I want to buy. You will know exactly which one you want to buy. So, okay, as they say, size matters. Group size. There are actually group sizes from 21 to 98, if you're going to be technical. And then there's industrial and tractor batteries that are called 4Ds and 8Ds. But what you're going to find on the shelf of Walmart, AutoZone, Pep Boys, and Amazon is going to be either group size 24, 27, 29, or 31. So that's, that's it, okay? Basically, group size 24 is for a small car. 27 is for a mid-sized car or truck, and group size 29 and 31 are for really big trucks, like diesel trucks, except my pickup truck actually has two group 27s in them, so it's not written in stone. The group size actually refers to just the dimensions of the battery, its average length, width, and height, so you know that it is going to fit into the hole that is in your car that you're going to put it in. Uh, if you're not going to put it into a hole in your car, you want the biggest one you can get, which would be 29 or 31. If you're at Sam's Club or someplace with a big selection of marine batteries that you're looking at, then you're going to have to want to buy the biggest one you can get or the biggest one that won't give you a hernia. Okay, Those are going to be either group size 29 or 31. 31 is slightly bigger than 29. Group size 29 is the largest group size I can find at Walmart. The orbital AGMs I have listed on Amazon are group size 31. So if you can't find a group size 31, please get the group size 29. After all, the bigger battery does you no good if you can't get it. A smaller battery is better than no battery. If you can't tell, I think Sam's Club and Walmart are the two best places to buy a marine deep cycle battery. But Sam's Club only has batteries at their stores in 24 of 50 states, according to their website. And thankfully, that includes Alaska and Hawaii, where it'd be more expensive to ship a battery anyways. Your Sam's Club will have a battery for you. Well, when it comes to golf cart batteries, there are GC2, GC8, GC12. 
And the ones you want are GC2s. Now, this is kind of funny. It's GC2 because you need two of them. Uh, you need two of these 6-volt batteries to make 12 volts. GC8 is an 8-volt battery, which is no good for you. And GC12 is a single 12-volt golf cart battery. So a GC2 is because you need two of them to make 12 volts. It's not because they're 2 volts, which they aren't. But yet a GC8 is 8 volts, and a GC12 is 12 volts. Mm -hmm. That's a genius that came up with that system. Um, So now, what about amp hour and reserve capacity? How do I know what these mean and what the battery, you know, what battery has the most uh, energy capacity, et cetera? Because there's things that are really important, and then there's things that are marketing. Like when you go out and buy your wireless uh, uh, modem, and it says it has 100 megabit capacity in your DSL connection as a one and a half, as though it really is important uh, there. Uh, so wh- where, what are we actually looking at here with, with what's important and what's really going to make a difference for people? Uh, this is a little tricky, so listen carefully. And actually, I have this in the video, and it's a little more visual and illustrated. I think the only way to judge how much energy is in a battery is by ampere hours. Now, what is an ampere hour? It's pretty close to this. I have a few numbers. Listen carefully. They're simple. If you have a 100 ampere hour battery, it will give you 10 amps for 10 hours. 10 times 10 is 100. Got it? If it will give you 20 amps for 5 hours, 20 times 5 is 100. It will give you 33 and a third amps for 3 hours, and it will give you 50 amps for 2 hours. So, now, it's close to this, but not exact, because the less energy you pull from a battery, the more efficient it is at giving up those amperes to you. So your 10, amp, 10 amps for 10 hours will really last a bit longer than 10 hours. And if you're trying to pull 50 amps from the battery for two hours, you'll never make it because you're pulling so much current that the battery becomes more inefficient. It just can't dump that much energy without losing something in the process. It's like pouring water from one bucket into another. Pour water very slowly, and every drop goes from one bucket will go into the other bucket. Spill one bucket of water real quickly into another bucket, and the water will splash all over the place, and all the water will not make it into the bucket. It is the same with taking energy and putting energy into a battery. Technically, this all has to do with internal resistance, surface area to plates, and what lead is alloyed with, and a bunch of other stuff, but I'm really trying to give you the rule of thumb and a very sound working knowledge of battery. So just remember, ampere hour, 100 ampere hour means I can pull 10 amps for 10 hours, 20 amps for 5 hours, 5 amps for 20 hours, 1 amp for 100 hours. That is basically what an ampere hour is. I think it's great, and I think it's good to just make it those simple rules of thumb because obviously when we're building systems, we want to overbuild a little bit, and we don't want to be going like thinking we're going to actually get exactly that much before we need to do something called recharge or provide some other sorts of energy there. So I think that's the best way to make it easy for people, and, and thanks for doing that. So let's move on to the one more one we see all the time, reserve capacity. I see reserve capacity listed on batteries all the time. What's the deal? with reserve capacity yeah reserve capacity or rc will show up most on batteries more times than you'll see ah or ampere hours 
Many times the batteries won't have ampere hours on it, and this is disappointing because someone in the industry decided to try to make this whole thing easy for people so they would know what battery was bigger and what battery was better, and all they did was screw the whole thing up royally. The idea was you have a marine deep cycle battery for your boat and your electric trolling motor. And the trolling motor will only draw about 25 amps on average. So they wanted to tell the person looking at the battery in the store how long the battery would last in their trolling motor. So they would say the reserve capacity is 180 minutes. So the trolling motor will run for 180 minutes. That's three hours operation. That's not bad. I can understand that. That makes sense. Now, you think this would be really good, and you're looking at the shelf, and one battery says 180 minutes, and one says 210 minutes. You'd know which one would last longer. But different companies doing the marketing are screwing everything up, and you know how it is all about a numbers game. Uh, in the battery video, I give you a real-world example. I'll give it to you here. These, I have two huge golf cart batteries tied together, and they have a reserve capacity of, get this, 120. Then I have a single marine battery, nowhere near the size of the two huge golf cart batteries, and it's not 120, it's 210 minutes. Or <laughs> so it's the, all about where the variable comes from. That's right. So the big batteries are 120 minutes and the smaller battery is 210. This does not make sense at all. It's because the golf cart batteries use a current draw of not 25, but 75 amps to do their calculation for reserve capacity. And the marine battery uses the standard 25 amps. So the golf cart batteries will last for 120 minutes if you only draw 75 amps from them. And the marine batteries will last almost double that, 210 minutes, when you draw only 25 from it. But the golf cart battery very clearly says on the label that the reserve capacity is 120 minutes at 75 amps. So it, real, it clearly says 75. But the numbers are there. And to be fair to the marketing widget heads, if, if you're buying a golf cart battery for the average golf cart, the number's valid. If you're buying a marine battery for the average trolling motor, the number's valid. But when you're doing things like we are and you, you kind of change the variable, it's not apples to apples at all. No, no. And if the battery label does not say how many amps it is, you can assume it to be 25. Okay. And so this is for reserve, reserve capacity in minutes, or RC. So as I show you in the video, you take the minutes and you multiply it by the amps, and you then always divide by 60, and that gives you the amp hours. So amps times minutes divide by 60. Got it? So if you do that with 120 minutes at 75 amps and 210 minutes at 25 amps, you get the golf cart batteries to be 150 ampere hours, ta-da, and you get the single marine battery at only 88 ampere hours. So now the truth shines through, but the math looks better in, in, in the video. <laughs> now you've shown us how how big uh, how one big battery is from how big the difference between one big battery and it is in another. How much can I get from the battery? You've you've mentioned the depth of discharge and what is you know what is actually a deep cycle battery. Okay, depth of discharge is another subject with a few numbers that I'm going to make easy for you. If you have a battery that is fully charged, we'll call that 100% charged. 
If you use half the energy from the battery, we'll call that 50%. If you use 70% of the battery, that'll take you down to 30. If you use 80, it's going to take you down to 20. Got it? Everything adds up to 100. So an 80% depth of discharge means there is only 20% of the energy left in the battery. This would be like using 10 amps from a 100 ampere battery, ampere hour battery, for eight hours. Eight hours times 10 amps is 80 ampere hours. It's a 100 ampere hour battery, so it's down to 20% left. When you go from 100 down to 40%, or down to 30, or down to 20, that is called deep cycling your battery because you're drawing down deep into the charge, and a deep cycle battery can do this more times than a non-deep cycling battery. Or uh, marine batteries and deep cycles are pretty much synonymous. You can interchange the two, okay? It's just labeling. Do you know what kills a battery and what damages it? Using it. Every time your battery is not at 100% charged and you use it, you are doing some damage to the battery that you are never, ever going to reverse. Every day, your battery is not on a good charger, and we'll get to those, and being maintained is a day that is it is losing some of its own energy. It's called self-discharge. The battery will sit there and actually lose its energy slowly, like um, 3 to 5% per month for a lead-acid battery. It's like having a big tank of water with a small hole drilled in the bottom of it. It's leaking a small amount of water or energy every day, and the level is getting lower and lower. Every day that your battery is not at 100% all the way full and kept all the way full is a day that a small, very small amount of damage is being done to the battery. So even charging up a lead-acid battery and putting it into the closet is doing very small small amounts of damage to the battery every day. Because of that little hole in the water tank, it's losing something every day when it's not fully charged, and a small amount of damage is occurring. That is why we keep a real charger, I'll talk about those, on the battery all the time until the power fails when you need to use it. Now, this is a simplification of the process, but you can use this as a rule of thumb. The question is, how much damage are you doing, and how many times can you do this discharge? Okay? Well... If you could do that discharge a thousand times, you really don't think of your batteries being damaged. You just think of your batteries being used, you know. So I'm kind of playing with words a little bit here to make the point razor sharp for you. So let's, okay, let's be really harmful to the battery, okay? Let's be as mean as we can. Let's do the most damage we can to the battery. Let's get a battery and take it from 100% all the way down to zero, the inverter has a low voltage alarm and it's screaming at you and it's about to shut off. If you put a light bulb directly on the battery, it'd be very, very dim, just barely lighting up. You've taken this battery as far down as it can. It's zero. Then you put a charger on it to make it a happy battery and you bring it back fully up to 100%. Uh, I'll talk on this subject later, uh, but I hate trickle chargers for a lot of reasons, but one of them is you can never bring a battery from zero all the way back up. You usually can't even get the battery off zero. So now we've taken our battery back up to 100%. Life is happy. And now we slam it all the way back down to zero again. Rock bottom dead. And then we put the charger on it and bring it all the way back up. If this was a car battery, 
um, like a regular battery in your car used for starting the car, you could do this 100% depth of discharge down to zero only about 12 or 15 times before the battery is absolutely dead, dead, dead and would not respond or give you any energy. So, okay, 10 to 15 times for a car battery. A deep cycle battery will do this 150 to 200 times, okay? That's over 10 times the life cycle of a car battery, and this is when you're being the most harsh, okay? You're being the most harsh to it, and it will still do this 150 to 200 times. Does that make you feel a lot better knowing that you can take a deep cycle down to zero and back up to 100% about 150 to 200 times? That would be a lot of use and disaster, wouldn't it? Okay, so we're talking 100 down to zero about 200 times. Remember that. And we shouldn't be going and doing that, really. No, you shouldn't, but you know what? It's there for you to do it. You might if, have to. If you have to, you do it. If you have yep. to, you use it. Yep. So remember I said deep cycle, down, to, down and back up 200 times. If you went from 100 down to 50 and then back to 100, you could do this not 200, but 500 times. If you only went down to 70 and then back up to 100, you could do this over a thousand, a thousand times. So my point is, when you really draw a battery down past 50% depth of discharge, you're really doing a lot of damage to it compared to when you only bring it down to 70 or 50%. But you know what? If it's a disaster, an emergency, that's what it's there for. It's to be used and abused if you must, because it's more important for your iPhone to be charged up and for you to be able to make and receive phone calls than it is for your deep cycle battery to have 200 more cycles of 0 to 100 life in it. And by the way, just a typical fun number for you, if a typical marine battery will charge an iPhone from 0 to 100 over 200 times, so if your marine battery could go from 100 to zero 200 times, that means over the life of the marine battery, it could charge your iPhone 40,000 times. How's that for a number? That's a good number. So, I, don't think your, I don't think your iPhone can be charged 40,000 times before uh, the ghost of Steve Jobs makes it obsolete. Yeah, actually, the iPhones can take a charge about a 1,000 times. But, you know, the same yeah. thing applies for your iPhone lithium-ion ba battery as it does to the lead acids, kind of. Now, remember we said that an automotive starting battery could only go from 100 to zero about 15 times, right? That's why it's important when you have an inverter on your car battery and you're lighting your house or drawing more energy and powering your refrigerator and freezer that you keep the car at idle while you're doing this so it's supplying as much power from the car alternator rather than from the car battery. That's why I want you to idle your car when you're doing anything big. For those of you who are new here and you really like the idea of running, uh, a bat uh, running a battery bank at home and you like the idea of being able to power your house from the car in your driveway with an inverter, I have a whole TSP episode on this called How to Power Your House from Your Car. It's at solar1234.com for you to listen to. All my past episodes are there for you to listen to instantly with just one tap on your smartphone or your computer. So if I'm running my house and my refrigerator and my snow cone maker off of an inverter for my car, when do I know I should start the car? Uh, when do I know the battery has gotten just a little bit too low? When, when am I going to say, hey, it's enough, I need to put some, put some stuff back into it? 
So what's a good rule of thumb for your battery bank and for your car battery? When do you want to put a charge back into it, or when do you think you might be doing damage to it? Well, as you can see in the video, I always have this neat little LCD lit, uh, backlit voltmeter attached to all my battery banks. And I highly recommend it to you all through the video. And this show, I highly recommend it. But when it reaches 12.0 volts, when you're using an inverter on the car or the battery bank, then you want to think about starting the car for a half hour or an hour for, or as long as your refrigerator is being powered and get the battery voltage back up and then turn your car off. If you do not have a separate voltmeter in the batteries, uh, if you don't have a separate voltmeter, like I'm mentioning for your battery, all of the Duracell inverters, both the 400 and 800 watt one, have a built-in voltmeter on the display. Generally, rule of thumb, other inverters do not have a voltmeter on them until you buy one that is a 1,000 watts or more, and then they'll come with a little LCD display that will flash back and forth between the battery voltage and the amount of power it's delivering in watts. And I have a 1,000-watt inverter on battery1234.com as cheap as 80 bucks, so they're affordable. But a 20-buck, 150-watt inverter from Walmart and a bunch of LED and small compact fluorescent lights will give you more light than you could want in your house in a blackout. So this is not something you have to spend a lot of money on. You know, better to have a $20 small inverter and some LED light bulbs from Walmart or Christmas tree lights, which are cheap this time of year. It's better to have that than it's better to have nothing. Yeah, let me tell you guys, on the, the Christmas tree lights, the white LEDs, um, for the amount of power they consume, talk about something to light up a room if you just string them around a roof line or something like that. We have them out on our deck. I've got three strings. Each string is drawing individually three and a half watts uh, on my deck, and it's it's when we have people over in the evening, you turn those on. That's all the light you need out there. Um, so they do a lot, and that's not being bounced off walls and roofs. So that's a great point to consider those as your low draw lighting source, Steve. But let's keep going, man. You've covered group size, amp hour, depth of discharge, deep cycle. Uh, let's get right down to it. What battery do I want, Steve? Here's your answer. The best battery for the money, the one that gives you the most energy stored for the lowest amount of money, is going to be a flooded lead acid battery. And that is either going to be a marine deep cycle battery or a GC2 golf cart battery. Deep cycle batteries are at Walmart and Sam's Club, and the GC2 batteries will be either Energizer or Duracell brand golf cart batteries at Sam's or you are going to have to find a local battery supplier, and they're in all significant cities, and you'll buy a Trojan golf cart battery. A T-105 is a very popular Trojan battery. So either Sam's or Walmart, or you're going to have to find a local battery supplier. If acid safety is a concern to you, then you are going to buy an AGM battery, and that will be either Duracell AGM battery from Sam's Club, an Optima AGM battery from Sam's Club or Amazon, or maybe AutoZone uh, or Pet Boys. Uh, both Trojan and Odyssey also make very good AGM batteries. Shop online for prices and then try to buy them locally. Uh, these batteries can weigh from 50 to 100 pounds each. My GC2 golf cart batteries are 64 pounds each. So how do I know then if I want a deep cycle marine battery or spend a little more money and get the golf cart batteries? What's the big differences and are there advantages from one to another? Because from hearing you talk before when we talked about this subject long ago on the show, 
the big thing with golf cart batteries is that they're designed to take abuse. Yeah, so we're down to either one, a deep cycle marine, two, a golf cart battery, or three, an AGM battery. But we can get rid of number three, AGM, right now because you're only getting this one if asset safety is important. So we're down to deep cycle marine battery or golf cart battery. Well, first reason, the first reason that is going to decide between the two is if you can pick it up and it, do you have to move it. A good marine battery is 50 to 60 pounds, but it's all one battery, and it even has a handle on it. You can pick it up and move it from your basement to your kitchen table. You can move it to your garage to be charged from your car. You can put it in your car and take it with you. It's portable. That is one thing I show in the video. I moved the 12-volt marine battery from downstairs in the basement to upstairs on the dining room table, and then I attach everything to it. If you were running DC only, then this is the only way to charge your, your phone upstairs. Otherwise, you'd be charging your phone in the basement where the batteries are, and hey, someone might be calling you. Might as well move the battery to the living area in the blackout rather than moving the living area to the battery. Now, for golf cart batteries, you need two GC2 batteries. They're 6 volts each. 6 plus 6 equals 12. They're connected together with a big electrical wire that you have to make and or buy, and I'll show you in the video how to make them, and each one weighs 64 pounds. Okay, that's 128 pounds of total battery weight. That's dead weight. Okay, that's hard weight to move. So to move these, you have to take the electrical cable off and move each battery on its own. Then there's no handle on it to help you move them. Then when you get them set to where you want them, you got to hook them back together with a short electrical cable that joins them. Golf cart batteries are bigger and heavier. So there are more ampere hours in them than a single marine battery. As I said earlier in the show, two GC2 golf cart batteries from Sam's Club was 150 ampere hours. The Group 29 deep cycle battery from Walmart was 88 ampere hours. Now, marine batteries have sponge plates. Golf cart batteries have thicker groove plates. It's got a little better chemistry, higher antimony. The golf cart batteries are made for abuse. Look at the golf cart. you got idiots half drunk, driving them and bouncing them all over the place, running into things, quick takes off, quick takeoffs, fast stops, and so the batteries have to take a lot of physical abuse, vibration and bouncing. Remember, AGMs, like for your friend's electric motorcycle, are excellent for physical abuse as well. The golf cart battery has extra room at the bottom under the plates for when the plates degrade and slough stuff off, it falls down and it can build up on the bottom of the battery without shorting the plates of the cell out. They also have more room at the top so they can hold a greater volume of electrolyte, which is sulfuric acid and distilled water. The batteries will lose some water over time because they generate very, very small amounts of hydrogen and oxygen when being charged, and this uses up some of the water. So with more room at the top in a golf cart battery, you got more room for water, which means you have to add water to it less, add water to the battery less often. In the video, I show you to how to check each battery cell with an acid hydrometer. And when I go outside to check my five-year-old batteries, my Dodge Diesel, I find half the cells don't have water all the way to the top. They're not empty. It's just not all the way to the top. It's actually below the plate, so I show you how to put distilled water back into the batteries. This is very easy to do in a golf cart battery as well. Uh, with a marine battery, you have to take a screwdriver and pop the lid off. 
With a golf cart battery, you can just twist one knob and all three covers come off uh, at, at the same time. They got bigger holes, and so adding water is easier. So the golf cart batteries are bigger, heavier, more energy batteries, but they are better suited if you're going to have a stationary battery bank in your house, and it's not going to move. The golf cart batteries are the way to go if you want a really big battery bank as well. If you want to have two, four, six, eight, twenty 20 batteries hooked up, you're getting golf cart GC2 batteries. In the video, I have a photo of a friend's battery bank that has eight GC2 golf cart batteries in it. We even split it in half to make two as one, one as none. And it has two chargers on it so it can be charged twice as fast. And then he throws one big switch and the battery banks are joined together for better life to use with the three inverters he has on it. 200 watts, two, sorry, 2,000 watts. I'm screwing up here. He's got 200 watts, 800 watts, and 1,500 watt inverters all in the same battery bank. Two is one, one is none, three is a lot better. <laughs> We're going to have to figure out a rhyme for three in there. I think that's a good one, Steve. If a three is for me. Two is three one, is one for, is none, three is for Three is for me. How's that? Three is for the prepper in me. I don't know. Yeah, the marine battery is going to be a lot better. Okay, let me say this again, okay? I'm making distinctions here for you. The marine batteries, battery is going to be a lot better if you're going to have a single battery system, especially one that might be DC voltage only, no inverter. This is the simplest version of the home battery bank, and I will show it to you. This might also be where most of you guys start with one Group 29 Marine Deep Cycle Battery from Walmart for $95. Put a $30 charger on it and some connectors and put on some USB chargers and away you go. You can join together as many Marine batteries as you want to. You can have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight Marine batteries all joined up with each other. Now, there's some rules for hooking up batteries, you know, like you might want something to be the same type or size or anything else like that. Yeah, first of all, if you have two batteries, like two marine batteries, you always get more life out of the batteries by hooking them together and using both batteries at the same time. If I got into the chemistry of why this show would go too long, but hooking up two batteries is better than using all of battery one and then using all of battery two separately. Next, yes, the batteries you hook together should be the same age and the same size as each other. They should be twins. The batteries should be uh, purchased at the same time, just like twins, born at the same time. Your batteries should be gotten at the same time. If they're more than six months apart, don't hook them up to each other. When hooking up both batteries, they should also be fully charged. If you hook up a battery with 50% depth of discharge with a battery up there at 100%, it's going to have a higher voltage, and it's going to rapidly dump a lot of current into the lower voltage battery until they get equaled out. There'll be some sparks, and the battery cables might get warm. Don't forget, 12-volt batteries are hooked up in parallel, which means you are hooking up plus to plus and minus to minus to keep the 12 volts, but to increase the number of ampere hours you have in the batteries. Golf cart batteries are 6 volts each, so you have to put two in series to get 12 volts, which means one of the plus terminals is connected to one of the minus terminals of the second golf cart battery. Again, this is better in the video. Now, if you treat this, now once you've done this, you treat this as just like one big 12-volt battery. 
If you're adding more golf cart batteries, you're adding them two at a time. The pair is hooked up in series, and it goes in parallel with all the other batteries. Like I said, once the two 6-volt batteries are hooked together, you treat it no different than this. It was a 12-volt battery. Now, you mentioned that batteries make some hydrogen when they're being charged. Is this a safety issue? Does the room need to be vented or anything when charging? Uh, will we get any kind of hydrogen buildup? I said it makes a very, very small amount of hydrogen. I mean it makes a mouse fart of hydrogen, and yes, mice do fart. <laughs> Yet everyone wants you to everyone wants to make you think the batteries are the Hindenburg in your closet ready to burst in flames. Nothing could be further from the truth. Hydrogen is one fourteenth the density of air. If you put it in a balloon, it would take you to over 130,000 feet in the air, just like Felix Baumgartner went that high with his Red Bull jump with helium. It'll take you to the edge of space 24 miles high. Hydrogen does not linger around like a fart. It's not going to come out of the battery and drift across the room like a fart looking for your nose. It's one-fourteenth the density of air. The second it leaves the battery, it is instantly trying to leave the closet, leave the room, leave the house, leave the entire building at a speed faster than you can run. It's measured in actually meters per second. It is Any hydrogen coming out is instantly trying to dilute itself over the atmosphere of the entire planet. Let me say that again. Those atoms of hydrogen you release are going to dilute itself across the entire planet. Some of the hydrogen you release will make it, it will make its way to over China. If it does not want to build up, it does not want to be near you. The hydrogen is leaving as fast as it can. Now, the only place hydrogen can build up is under the caps of the batteries in the battery cells. You ever see battery cables spark when you hook them up to the battery? Well, if it just happens to spark, and there just happens to be enough hydrogen coming out of the cap, and there just happens to be enough of it under the, bat the cell cap, that it might go pop and blow off the caps of the battery. And when it does, it'll blow out a bunch of sulfuric acid with it and go all over the place, and that's what is, makes it dangerous. That is why you hook up the cables to the battery, and then you turn on or plug in the charger. You don't turn on the charger and then hook up the cables. And that is also why you hook up the battery cables from the inverter to the battery, and then you turn on the inverter. This is also why you might consider wearing safety glasses when you're working around batteries. If you were in an industrial setting, you'd be made to wear safety glasses. But be smart. Don't spark on the terminals of your batteries and you'll be fine if you, really you're going to be fine if you are worried Nelly and you worry about every single thing in the world including meteors falling on your head from space then get an AGM battery instead of a flooded lead acid battery AGM does make hydrogen and oxygen like all lead acid batteries will do but it has a recombiner in them which is a little platinum catalyst that recombines the hydrogen and oxygen back in the water and a little itty bitty bit of heat so when it comes to hydrogen being made in a battery, remember these two things. One, it's a mouse fart. Two, it's going to leave your house and be over China and the entire planet. So when it comes to the charging, there always seems to be a big question. What's the right way to charge batteries? Well, when it comes to chargers, there are two types of chargers. There are old, dumb chargers, and there are newer computer-controlled, smart three-stage chargers. 
the older dumb chargers were just that dumb. Usually very little control over how much current was being put into the battery and very little control over when it stopped charging the battery. Some of these would actually have an automatic manual switch on them, and when it was on automatic, it would reach a peak charge, turn itself off, then 10 seconds later, the battery voltage dropped, turn itself back on, turn itself back off, do this like every 10, 10 seconds. That's really not a smart charger. This is not the type of charger you want, not even if it's free. Forget about it. You'll end up with a partially charged battery or batteries that where you've boiled off all the water out of them, and that does you no good. You only want to stick with chargers that are computer-controlled. They'll say microprocessor-controlled on the box. And the key thing to look at, to look for, is they are also called three-stage chargers. Vector used to be my favorite brand, and you'd see them all. You'll see them in my old photos in the video. But Black & Decker bought them out, relabeled the chargers, sold them for a few years, and now they're all gone away. I can't find them anymore. We are stuck, Jack. We are stuck with only one company in the entire United States that is making a consumer-level, consumer-priced, three-stage battery charger that you can easily buy online or at Walmart, and the company is called Schumacher. Schumacher, eh? I think that's what I've got. Um, you mentioned there's three stages of charging. Can you tell folks what those are? Let's say you got a Schumacher XC103 30-amp charger, and you have about, let's say, a 100-ampere-hour deep-cycle marine battery, which would be a group size 31. And it's pretty much dead, and you're going to charge it all the way back up with the charger. It's a 30-amp charger, and it's very intelligent. That does not mean it's throwing 30 amps into the battery all the time. 100 ampere hours divided by 30 amps of charge does not mean your battery will be 100% charged in three and a half hours. It'll be 100% charged not in three or four hours, but in about 12 hours. Okay? It'll be 80% chance, it'll be 80% charged in four. So 100% in 12, 80% in four. So, now, why is this? Again, it's like pouring water from one five-gallon pail to another. Imagine your five-gallon pail of water is 100% full right to the lip, okay? No room. And you're going to pour it into another five-gallon pail, and you want to put every drop in there carefully. What do you do? You start to pour just a little bit of water into the pail until you get the stream of water going, and then you know how fast you can pour. You start pouring as fast as you can, and you start filling up the bucket, and then when the water starts to get near the top of the bucket, you don't want to splash any water out of the bucket, so you slow down your pouring near the top, and you pour out the last little bit and get every drop from one pail into the other. Does this make sense? The smart three-stage battery controller does the same thing, just like pouring water. First thing the smart charger does is it tries to determine the state of charge of the battery. Just how deep down is it? Okay, it finds the battery is really almost empty. The 30-amp charger is now going to dump 30 amps of into the battery so it can go from 0 to 80% as, as full as fast as possible. This is called bulk charging. It's like dumping your bucket of water the fastest. This is the point where you're, like I said, this is the point where you're dumping the water the fastest. Okay, so let's say it is going to do this fast 30-amp charging. You get 80% charged up in about four hours on your 100-amp-hour deep cycle Group 31 marine battery. 
this is what is called stage one of the battery charging. Next, it is going to go into what's called absorption charging, also called a topping charge. This is where you are starting to slow down the pouring of your water into the bucket. The charger is going to start charging at 30 amps and then ramp it down to about 5 amps over a 5-hour period. This will get you 95 to 98% charge. Now, remember this 95-98 number because I'm going to make a very big point about this in a minute. What we just did was stage 2 of the 3-stage charger. So now we get to stage three. This is called float charging. This is where it will put a very small amount of energy, like one to two amps, into the battery until it's perfectly 100% charged. This will take two or three hours to do this. It's a very slow, steady charge to even out the charge on all of the cells. It's only for the last two to five percent of the battery charging. This mode of charging is also called trickle charging. So, many of you have said, a lot of you have emailed me and said, oh, I want to put it, I want a battery bank, and I want to put a trickle charger on it. Yeah, right. We just dumped 30 amps for four hours, then dumped 30 amps to five amps for another five hours, and you think you're going to use a one-amp trickle charger to charge your battery banks. Even if it could get the battery from nothing to 100%, it'd take over 100 hours to do it. It's a good four days. And a trickle charger will not pull a battery from dead zero all the way up. In fact, it won't even get it off of zero. So let's say that charging your battery is like pig hunting in the south, okay? Bulk charging at a full 30 amps is like using a 30-out-6 rifle. Large and powerful, one shot, one kill, one dead pig. Absorption or topping charging at 30 to 5 amps, that's 32 5 amps, is like a 223 tactical rifle. It'll mess that pig up fast and kill him. Trickle charging is like a Red Rider Daisy BB gun. 100% useless for killing a pig. In fact, all you're going to do is piss the pig off and you'll end up getting hurt by the pig. This is what a trickle charger does. It gives you a false sense of security. You think your battery is fully charged up and ready. When the power fails, you discover that your 1995 trickle charger has either not charged the battery or you find out that it's a dumb trickle charger and has boiled out all the water of the battery. You're stuck in the dark with a useless battery because of a useless trickle charger. Congratulations. The pig just hurt you because of your BB gun. That is what a false sense of security will <clears throat> excuse me. That is what a false sense of security will do. Now, the smart three stage charger has a maintain or maintenance mode on it, and it goes into main, maintain mode after it has your battery one hundred percent charged, which means it's always reading the voltage and it's with a computer, it's reading the voltage and it's putting in the exact amount of current needed to keep your battery charged at exactly one hundred percent. Not overcharged, not undercharged. The smallest, cheapest charger that does this is the six amp Schlumacher charger at Walmart for twenty nine ninety five. Even though it's a 6-amp charger, it's a computer-controlled three-stage charger. It just does 6 amps for bulk charging, 6 amps to 3 amps for topping charge, and then less than 2 amps for the float charge, and it goes into less than 1 amp or fractions of an amp for maintenance mode. 
You can go to battery1234.com, and I have all of the Schlumacher chargers, chargers listed up there with my detailed comments on which ones and which ones I like and which ones are best for you for what you're doing. So one of the big things that people worry about is sulfation of a battery. Does the maintain made, uh, maintain its mode uh, desulfate, and what is sulfation? Yes, the Schumacher battery chargers, all of them, all do automatic desulfation. Just leave it on your battery, and it'll take care of it. Now, what is sulfation? I'm not, I'm trying, I'm not going to, I'm going to make this down and dirty, okay, and not give you the answer that's in the encyclopedia. In a battery, you have lead oxide plates, and you have sulfuric acid and water. When the battery is fully charged, all the sulfur and the sulfuric acid is in the acid. It's out of the battery plates completely. There's no sulfur in the plates when you're fully charged. As you discharge a battery, the sulfur from the sulfuric acid will go into the lead oxide plates and will form a sulfur compound that is like a crystal, lead sulfate. This is normal. When you charge the battery back up, these crystals go away and the sulfur goes back into the acid and water. When you leave a battery partially charged or all the way dead for more than a few weeks, these crystals start to chemically change into a much harder, more permanent crystal. These hard crystals, also made from sulfur, will start to form after about a month and increase from there. After the hard sulfation crystals are formed, no desulfation of any type, no snake oil, no battery pulser, no anything will reverse the hard crystal sulfation. So if you can get a good charger on a battery and get 100% charged and allow it to run uh, its desulfation routine, and the Schumacher does it automatically, you, you can't turn it on or off. It just senses it automatically and turns itself on, which I kind of don't like, but it doesn't. Uh, you get to do this two to four weeks after the battery has been used, and you're going to reverse most of the sulfation. After a month, the hard crystals are going to start to form. In several months to six months, your battery will be fully sulfated. Nothing is going to reverse this percentage of sulfation and degradation you have in your battery. And that throws kind of a, a wrench in the works for people that think they're going to buy old batteries on eBay and rejuvenate them and desulfate them. That's the problem. You have no idea how dead they have been and how dead they've been for how long and thus how much hard crystal sulfation is in them. I used to go to the recycle center in Warren, Michigan with two batteries in the back of my pickup truck, and I'd go up to the attendant and say, I'd drop off two batteries, and I'd uh, drive up to the pile of batteries outside, and I'd take my two batteries off and put them in the pile, and then I would leave with another dozen old marine and deep cycle and computer batteries and I would take them home and test them all, try to recharge them then draw them all the way down see how much energy they really had in them, then I'd charge them back up and this is what I did when I was kind of poor. And let me tell you I did not find many batteries in that pile I could trust. Most of them went right back into the pile at the recycle center. There are some things you can do with older forklift batteries because they are just so big and huge. An old forklift battery can be 75% inactive on their plates, no good for the forklift, yet still have some good 
power applications for basically a renewable energy dominated house. But this is more for people who are running earth ships and have a constant solar panel load and they have a very intelligent inverter charger. They know batteries and they're watching and testing the status of their batteries daily. This is not something you put in the basement of your house and forget about it, let alone those batteries are 400 pounds each. So for everyone here, for home and mobile battery banks, you don't trust your health and safety and power to strange batteries. You want the batteries for your battery bank to be new, fresh, from the store, and then you want to keep them warm in the winter and cool in the summer. You want them inside the house with you and the dogs and not outside in the weather. Well, Steve, uh, we've run out of time already, so we're going to have to come back tomorrow and do the rest of the show, and this time we kind of planned it that way. Yeah, Jack. On the next show, I'll tell you in detail how to take a marine deep cycle battery, golf cart battery, or AGM battery, and how to make your own personal home battery bank, and how to make it on the back of your pickup truck so you can take it anywhere and power the world. I mentioned at the start of the show that on www.battery1234.com, that's 1234, not 123, the video is over four hours, and it's priced at $39.95. But just for TSP people, for the month of December, because I love you, we are going to have it priced at $24.95. So you can go get it right now. You'll be given a code to watch the video online right away. You can download it to your computer and save it off. This month, I'm also going to throw in a free copy of my 90-minute video called Bread from Gasoline, which is how to have an unlimited amount of bread in a disaster from a battery or generator. Also, on battery1234.com are photos and detailed descriptions written by me of everything we talked about on the show, and we're going to talk about all the inverters, all the chargers, everything you need to build a battery bank. I even got the wire nuts on electrical tape on there so you don't forget it. Those are all on the website for you to look at. I tell you if you can get them at Amazon. I tell you if you can get them at Radio Shack, at Walmart, or how to get them from the auto supply store. Of course, everything up there is also available on Amazon. If you have not sold, if you've not sold them out of everything, because that happened during the last show, Jack, people went to the show and the Duracell 800 watt inverter could not be found anywhere on the internet because so many TSP people bought Amazon completely out of it, and then they bought everyone else who had one on a website completely out of it. Kind of funny. All of my previous shows on TSP are instantly available for download at www.solar1234.com. That's my main radio show website. You can just tap on the show you want to listen to on your smartphone or your web or your computer, and it'll start to play the show right away. You don't have to download it. But I do have a download button up there if you want it on your phone for listening. Also, get this. Tonight, I will be live on Zello to answer any questions you might have about batteries and anything else. Zello is an interactive voice chatting system. We can have over 100 people in a room or a channel at the same time, and you can ask questions, and I can answer them. Go to zello.com and get the software for your PC, Mac, iPhone, or Android, and then pick a username and a password and log in. When you're logged in, do a search in Zello for The Survival Podcast. Three words. When you find the one, 
and when you find that one and it has a tag after it that says Modern Survival, which is Jack's Nixon, Jack's nickname. That's me. That's Jack. That's the one you want to join. There's a couple other TSP channels, but there's they're like for Arkansas. They're you know, for local ones. And we have a backup one if the main room crashes, and you'll see that too. It'll say TSPN backup channel. It's a good idea to add that one too. Okay, join that channel, and we'll chat away with us. I'll be on at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time tonight and tomorrow night, as well as I will be on one week from tonight and one week from tomorrow night for those people who did not listen to this show today but listened to it over the next week. And you'll have questions. I'll be there. Stay tuned for part two of the Battery Show tomorrow. Well, folks, that does wrap up the show. I want to say a few more things before we close down today. Uh, number one, as usual, we have almost a 90-minute show for part one, and that's because Steve put so much work into this. What you just got, and this is from a guy that spent years as an Army uh, diesel mechanic, has a better education on batteries than most of your Master Tech ba- uh, uh, you know, automotive technicians have. Uh, this is college-level stuff, but made easy. Tomorrow, Steve's going to come back and tell you how to put all this stuff together to build these backup systems in your car, in your home. Uh, I asked him to put the videos together. He spent hundreds and hundreds of dollars to buy all the things to build all the various systems so they could be detailed in these videos. The price he's selling at is really stupid cheap, 25 bucks. Come on. If this was four to five DVDs that it would take to cover it instead of downloadable videos, you're looking at probably most information products on the Internet of 100 bucks or more. Uh, and they would not be done to the quality, and they would not be done to the level, and they would not be done to the detail. When it comes to messing with stuff like this, you start looking at things that have electricity, in them, you start worrying about things like burning up your clothes because of the acid or having your kid get into them or just hooking stuff up and not shorting it out and starting to fire or hurting yourself. It's important to know all the details and you can figure it out. Steve's going to come back tomorrow and tell you everything you need to know to do it uh, if you didn't have the videos. But having the videos gives you that confidence. I think the biggest reason that people don't do things like build, build backup power stations is because they're afraid they're going to make a mistake that's going to cause a problem. By following through these videos, you'll be able to do everything. It'll be like having Steve stand with you. And, Steve, I don't think you can afford to go to everybody's house and do it for 25 bucks personally. But you can do it with the magic of video. Yep. So, I mean, this took a lot of work. And for him to do this in 30 days blows me away. Um, so I, it would mean a lot to me if you guys could help support him because content like this doesn't come from everybody. We have great guests, but no one brings this to the table. It also would be a great Christmas present. And for those of you guys working your butts off to set and define your goals on 13skills.com, how about for alternative energy building a backup power system with battery backup? Uh, and, Steve, you're even going to tomorrow tell people how to hook a solar panel into this as well because there was a lot of demand for that. Yes, yes, you have all broke me down, and <laughs> I am going to talk. I'm going to tell you how to hook a solar panel into it. And, uh, actually, Jack, it cost me nearly $3,000 to buy everything to do all of this. So, so guys, if you could really help Steve out and uh, consider adding this to your Uh, Prepper Knowledge Library. I think that would be a great thing. And Steve, thank you for being here today, and we'll have you back on tomorrow. I can't wait. Waiting to talk to you tomorrow, guys. Come back. It is going to be even more awesome than this show. All right, folks, and with that, this has been Jack Spierka today along with Stephen Harris, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. I don't know the answer.
there's nothing I can do It's the price we pay, I guess And we follow all the rules There's a better way to do this Let me show you a better way Nobody up there cares, they're living 